Jack Dapper Blues Heritage Preservation Foundation is a tax-exempt 501c3 nonprofit private foundation. Your donations, sponsoring, and funding allows us to create content that raises awareness of African-American traditional music, African-American folklore, and the Black experience. Check the link in the description box to donate. If you wish to sponsor podcasts, documentary series, or underwrite ads in our newspaper, The African American Folklorist, contact the email address in the description box. I'm out of 
What's happening? What's happening? What's happening, Blues people? Another, another, another great interview on the Jack Dapper Blues radio podcast. And ooh, you, you, you heard that. That was Mojo Morganfield off the Mojo Rising album, I Can't Get No Grinding. And guess what? I'm talking to Mr. Mojo Morganfield right now. Joseph Morganfield, what's happening, brother? What's happening, baby? Thanks for having me on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I mean, you know, just, just from that song, we know you keeping that lineage alive with the blues that that's that's some real real traditional chicago blues that's the feel right there oh yeah i gotta keep the blues especially from chicago being one of muddies you know so we gotta stay to what we know but uh that song is an incredible story behind that particular song one of the first songs i knew as a kid actually in fifth grade i took that song a 45 to a show and tell at my school. So it was one of my first songs I ever learned. Wow. One of my favorite songs of my father. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that. Look at... My, it was, I'm sorry, it was one of my show and tell projects. No, 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 go into it, go into it. Because see, that's what I wanted to ask you. What, what, you, your, your pops, Muddy Water. Yes, sir. You know, I want to say single-handedly, changed the trajectory and dynamics of our traditional music and platformed it to where, it, you know, it's not much words could, could be said about this that hasn't been said. And here you are, a, a little guy, taking this 45. And I, I mean, I remember 45s because I had them too back oh, then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just told my age, brother. It is what it is. <laughs> That's okay, me too. <laughs> And you're taking this to show and tell. How was that experience? I mean, the whole thing. Tell us the experience of the show and tell, then tell us how it was. Because, you know, I was able to interview your brothers, Mud and Big Bill. And now we have yes, you and Mercy that's really, you know, this is a big, beautiful legacy. Talk to us. How was how that um, um, show and tell and how was it being a kid around all of this? Well, at that particular time, we had just left the inner city. Uh, we, we had moved to a town called Westmont from Chicago. I used to live on 43rd Street. But what made it so special, the show and tell, which I was never familiar with, uh, when I got to the suburbs, you know, kids would bring something they liked to show the rest of the kids, the classmates. It could be something that they earned or something that their father made or whatever the, uh, what, what it was, you know, kids would bring something in on Fridays, and you got to do a little talk about it, do a little speech about it. So I decided to bring one of my dad's songs in, and it was, I was the only black kid in class. So to, for me to bring a 45, a, a blues record, to suburban kids who's probably never heard of, maybe their parents have, but I know they didn't. <laughs> it, it was like life changing. They actually liked it, and um, just had to be careful which song I brought in because of the lyrics, but for the most part, it went well. <laughs> It went right. well. Because <laughs> um, if I'm mistaken, when we was coming up, they didn't have the um, the, the the warning signs on the albums, right? No, there was no uh, parental guidance or disclaimers or nothing. You just played it and listened. <laughs> <laughs> so, so well, yeah, but the, uh, the class liked it. I was surprised they took to it. And it's weird because to this day, some of those same classmen 
they come to my class. Uh, come, come to my concert, you know. <laughs> Imagine that, because I'm I'm quite Incredible. sure their parents was listening to Muddy. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So I wasn't sure if, if they were familiar with it or not, but they got a taste of it. <laughs> wow! So that that was a great song I chose to open up with. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a history, that's a story behind that song. It's always been one of my favorites, so I decided to re-record it. So let's talk about your journey. You know, from what I've been told, Muddy Shoes is hard to fill. So at what point did uh, you say, I want to do this? You know what? I, I know, and all of us, all of my brothers, we'll never be another Muddy. Muddy Waters is Muddy Waters, period. So to, to fill his shoes was not a question. It was something that I would wanted to do. I've always been around the blues as, as a kid. Um... Even when I wasn't performing, I go support my brothers. But um, it was always something I was still in my heart I wanted to do. So for, for the longest, you know, I couldn't afford to do it because I had children. I got seven kids. Mm. So I had to work. So, you know, and as my kids got older in college and doing their own adult things, I, I decided to, just to go for it because I didn't want any regrets out of life. And that was the only thing sitting here that hindered me is, you know, even if I would have, even if I fail at this, you know, at least I could say I tried. So that was my whole purpose. And besides keeping my father's legacy alive, that's first and foremost. Absolutely. And I dig it. And, and I understand. I have five children. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what I'm talking about? I couldn't afford a gig here, a gig there. I had to, I worked for Con Man for 14 years, so I had to go out and make that money. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which, you know, I don't think... Um, a lot of the enthusiasts, fans, and historians either realize or really take too much time to discuss. A lot of the bluesmen from your father's era and prior weren't just professional musicians, but they also worked as well. Isn't that an interesting oh, yeah. dynamic, you, right? You just couldn't live off uh, gigs back then. You know, there was far and in between. So, you know, if he got famous, more famous, then he could, you know, do that full time. But my dad was a truck driver or a radio DJ. He did it all, jack of all trades. And a musician, you know, when he did stuff on the music on the weekends. Wow, so wait a minute. You, Muddy was a was a radio DJ? Oh, yeah. He, he DJed a little bit in Chicago. He told me this one story where he would talk doing the record. They would call in and tell him to shut up on <laughs> <laughs> the record play. <laughs> so you know he was talking doing the song and people didn't like it so that didn't last too long <laughs> cause he probably you know he probably knew who he's playing it was like yo this cat don't know what he's doing <laughs> exactly he gets the whole biography the week before or after the song we got told him but he do it doing the song <laughs> so so, so he well I'm sorry I didn't mean to cut you off I, I, I wanna go back and forth between the connection of the legacy, but we want to get your story as well, right? Because we, we're honoring and, 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 and preserving those living now as well. And you're making your own legacy. So it's like you took the baton and you're going and making your own legacy. How does that feel? Did you realize that or was that not even a thought? It wasn't even a thought. Um, when I decided to do this, um, it was more self-preservation. Um, you know, I always wanted, I even, um, I was always behind the scenes and like a, uh, more of a supporter, cheerleader with my my oldest brothers. And I work with my father's estate, so I always went to those events. And I'm a spokesperson 
from McKinley Morgan Field as a state. Mm. So I go to different events and I'll speak on my family's behalf. But I, like I said, that desire was still burning in me and I just wanted to do it. And, and I went out with an EP to start it off. Uh, I did two songs, two of my dad's songs, two original songs. And here we are. I'm working on the CD as we speak. Uh, I want to, you know, I always dedicate a couple songs to my father, but now I need to find my own way now, find my own music. So this next CD is going to be very killing. It's going to be nice. Now, now, this is a question. And, you know, please forgive me, but I have to ask every um, seed of Muddy that performs this question. Only yes, because sir. as a performer, you know, there's an audience loves the performer. They love what the performer brings. But when you're either connected to someone or you reflect someone, the audience is always uh, asking you to do a song for one of the, either the people you're connected to or the people you reflect. Do you find that people just want you to do your father's music? At first, but as I started doing my own music, um, I got a song called Let's Play Chess. Mm. And I get a lot of requests for that particular song. Oh, Mississippi found me. Then I do uh, some of Muddy's songs. So, you know, as I do more songs as I do of mine, you know, I can balance it then. You know, some of my dad, some of mine. But eventually, you know, I want to put my stuff out there. See what happens. Well, that's good because I actually enjoy Mississippi Found Me, and we'll play that later <laughs> on in the broadcast. <laughs> yes, sir. That's a good song, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Speaking of which, oh yeah. Let's let's take it to the uh, left for a minute. I have to ask you this. You know, in my research, I found a lot of information about the Delta region because, as you you and I know, most people think Mississippi is the only is the Delta. That's it. No, no, it's that whole region. Right. And oh, yeah, I definitely hear you. Yes, sir. So I was speaking with Anna Lomax, uh, Alan Lomax's daughter. and Library of Congress. Yes, sir. Yes. And she, she, she like yourself, she's, she's honoring and preserving her father's legacy. So as I was interviewing her, I asked her, did her father or grandfather notice that some of the black folk in this region were they actually not African or descendants of African, but were they actually um, dark-hued uh, Indians? And her response was, you know, my father always thought Muddy Water was, was of, of Indian descent. Do you have any uh, information or thoughts on that? Because Mississippi, Louisiana, and that whole region is like Choctaw, right? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, you got those Creoles out there. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> uh, as far as being of Indian descent, my, my dad never spoke about it. But I, if you look at his features, though, he does have those high cheekbones. I don't know if you know this other night. I, I, I have. He, he, you know, yeah. your father actually looks like my Uncle James, which is my grandmother's brother. They're all from Mississippi. So, uh-huh. Right. So I, I did notice the cheekbones is the point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, I've never uh, met any of my grandparents on my dad's side. Just seeing pictures. And his mom died at an early age of 14, I want to say. But his dad, Ollie Morganfield, him, now he was a light-skinned black, but, but it's, I can't be as certain as far as 
Native American or, or Indian in my family throughout on my dad's side. Okay, okay, all right. So now, getting back to the music and, and, and being in Chicago and and some of the people you work with. Matter of fact, let's talk about some of the people you worked with. First and foremost, I noticed some time ago that you gave a big shout out to our big sister, Deetra Farr. Oh, hell yeah, Deetra. Man, um, she's been instrumental in my coming out. Before I even came out publicly, I would rehearse with her one-on-one with my vocals. So she, we would go to the studio and, and I would just sing and she'd critique and give me pointers and she was like a vocal coach when I first started. Wow. Wow. Oh, yeah. So Deetra's been uh, very helpful in, in my beginnings of my this career. I have to ask you, does it feel like you're in those days of the legendary blues people being able to call Deetra Farr and be like, hey, I want to go over this with you? And she's like, all right, come on. And does this almost feel like, you know, like a Big Mama Thornton, Muddy Waters moment? Oh, yeah. You know what? If, if, if money wasn't money, if money who was, I wasn't related to money. You think I would have with these favors? <laughs> <laughs> you hear me? My dad still opened doors and he's been deceased for so long. But his name still rings. But uh, once I got to know Dietrich and we started hanging out, but she's a great, great singer. But uh, yeah, she did help me and I'm forever grateful. So now, is your band name. Uh, Manish Boy, or is that another band that you work with? No, that's my band's name. Um, OJ Morgan from the Manish Boys. Mm. So, so talk to us about how or what inspired you to specifically call your band the Manish Boys. <laughs> that name from the song I love, um, uh, the image I want to project on stage. Um, I, and the, the first key player I got was uh, Rick Crayer. Now, he actually played for my dad. You know, he's in my dad's last band. Mm. So to have that type of experience on band stage, you know, he, you know, was incredible. You know, there's a lot of guitars in Chicago that I could have went to, but I went to the source. I went to with somebody who played with my father, who actually played with my dad. I mean, this is a beyond beautiful because I, I really like how you revere your pops and, and and his musical legacy and in creating your own legacy, you still want to make sure you get that sound right. That's what it sounds exactly. like. Exactly. That sounds very important. That's that Chicago sound and that's my muddy sound. It's connected. So that sound I absolutely needed. So I needed Rick in that band. <laughs> <laughs> so have you guys been doing a lot of festivals? Oh, man, we are uh, totally busy in the summer. Uh, last year, we did the Chicago Blues Fest, uh, Gary Blues Fest, Highland. We do a lot of Indiana stuff, uh, Aurora, Montgomery. That's like one of my busiest seasons with all the festivals. So, it, yeah, it, we've been busy, busy, and it's filling up already again for the summer. The summer. Mm. So let, let's, let's move over to the estate for a moment because you said you were a representative of the estate and there's been a lot of controversy about this in regards to I am the spokesperson I'm sorry I'm sorry go ahead I'm a spokesperson for my father's estate okay you're the spokesperson now my sister Mercy is an executive my sister Mercy is an executor now wait are you you're the youngest out of the muddy children 
No, I have younger sisters. I am the youngest of the boys. Okay. I'm younger than Bill and Mud, and Mercy's older than me, but I got two younger sisters. Okay. Now, I'm not the, yeah, but youngest of the boys, but not the youngest. Out of them all. Okay, okay. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and Mercy is older. Mercy, I, I love Mercy. I, you you can never, <laughs> I, you know, you, you there's, there's something about an outspoken person in general, but black woman that is, is not afraid to be outspoken. She's been like that my our entire life as kids. You know, like she stood up for the people who got taken advantage of. She stood up to the bullies in school. That was just mercy. She's been like that from day one. But she got the right name. <laughs> oh, Mercy, Mercy D. <laughs> wow. Okay, so now, so you're the spokesperson. She's the executor, and we we that see is correct. we we see. You know, this is an unfortunate, um, consistent story where a non-family member, you know, and I and I don't even want to just say white because there's all ethnicities do this to people from what I'm learning. Um, a non-family member trying to either regain, keep control or, or profit off of without a, oh, yeah. returning yeah. it back. Um, how, how is that? And how does that feel? Oh, God. It's like second, second go round to be honest. Uh, the first time we had to take checks records to court for my dad's royalties and ran right to his music back. Mm. You know, my dad only having a third grade education and not only my father, well, Willie Dixon, Howard Wolf, they took advantage of all those black artists back then. Mm. So we took him to court and we won that battle back in the early 70s. And just recently, we're still fighting the battle, which is pretty much over. Uh, a guy named Scott Cameron, who was my father's manager at the time, once my dad died, he was executor of my father's estate. Mm. Uh, and come to find out, he stole over three millions from our family. Wow. And it, it's a paper trail, all black and white, and it's all court record. It's nothing fabricated. I'm not trying to dishonest the man. It's just dishonor, but the truth is the truth. It's been proven. It's in black and white. So now we're trying to recover as much of that money as we can. He's deceased now. He died during the proceedings. But um, yeah, yeah, he ripped my family off big time. My God. So let me, let me ask you a question for those listening that may not be musicians, but their father, uncle, brother, mother, whoever might be a musician. <clears throat> what advice would you give them to start either, you know, preparing, getting their, getting their paperwork or whatever situated for mm-hmm. when that this person is deceased and they have to deal with this. How do you protect yourself from this? Or is, or can you? You can, you know, that's safeguards. And what you, what we do now and what we should have did a long time ago, number one is not to com- completely trust anybody 100%. You know, because money is the root of all evil. Everything is driven by greed. That's true. And uh, it's, it's, it's checks and balance. Uh, make sure you got somebody who's watching everybody. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If somebody's doing the money, have somebody watching him. Or or you just can't give that person. Even my dad trusted him. Or he wouldn't have made him a gifter. We trusted him because we've known him since we were kids. Mm-hmm. You know, we just never a fan of him. But, you know, all of a sudden, all these red flags 
kept coming. You know, when that movie Cadillac Record came out, and uh, nothing changed in my in my state checks, mm. and it was just like flags like that was coming. And why is it we money keep dwindling, getting lower and lower? Every distribution is smaller and smaller. And now you take for granted the, the, this record business is not the same. Right. Everything's tight downstream now, and even all that in consideration, you know, after a while, you know, we decided to do some uh, investigating, and then we requested some paperwork we never got. And when he just up and moved, and then say he lost those paperwork during the move, I mean that was it. Then we got a lawyer, and the case has been like five years now. And like I said, we in the recovery stage, um, but we left a paper trail and, and it came up to the amount of about 3 million that he embezzled. So oh. that's where we at right now. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it sounds like <clears throat> you guys were really, you know, on top of it because most people, those red flags aren't necessarily red flags in, in, by the time they realize it's too late, but you guys did a good job catching it as it was happening. Oh, he was trying to sell our rights to the estate. So yeah, it was like, oh, man, it's a good thing we we did catch it. And you know, and that's Mercy D called it that. To be honest, Mercy was only there as like a pit bull. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I believe you know, she, that. She I, if, all that credit. God forbid something happens to me, and, and and my wife is so you know she's so distraught she can't talk. I'm gonna tell her to call Mercy. <laughs> call Mercy. You know what she, she said, Mary Joseph. I couldn't sleep. It was like Dad was talking to me. Wow. And something put it on my conscience. And when she got that ball over, you know, she made all the phone calls to us. We all got on board. And we attacked it. We all got them together. It was a family effort. And and we, and pretty much we won. We we found out we still it. Now, I don't think we're going to recover all that money. But, you know, at least, you know, he's not in control of my father's state anymore or his right. family. You won. Yeah, because you know. he was setting it up. That his son would take over, you know, once he died. And that was like another what? More money gone because. He had trained him how to do it and what to do. Wow. Yeah. Well, I so. hope you good folks are listening because, you know, malice is, you know, it could be in anyone's heart. It just depends on when it comes out. I don't want to say I'm, I'm, I'm flabbergasted, but to a degree I am. is because, you know, I get an opportunity to speak to so many people and so many legacies of, of these, you know, monstrous, monumentous artists, and it, this is always the case. They're, they're, they're hunting someone down who's done this, and it's just, it's amazing. You know what I mean? And oh, I'm just really man. happy you know, you that you're learn by now, if you follow history, and I don't know, it's like these guys, they can just do shit and get away with it, and you know what, like his family, it was my dad's money taking care of his family, you know? We didn't set that up for that. My dad didn't. Exactly. So, exactly. You know, and I don't know what it was, but, you know, we just glad that we got control over my dad's estate again. And now we're running things. We're doing stuff our way. He wouldn't generate new business. Um, he just didn't have any business. Since he was just collecting shit, it was just being done. Instead of trying to create new, new, new stuff. So it's just a blessing that he's out. And then, we're in control of our family's destiny again. Absolutely. But it's been a long ordeal, though, so. Dude. Painful ordeal. Yeah. 
I can I can only imagine. And, and you know, uh, another great uh, moment in this unfortunate situation outside of the win is the fact that you all came together because, you know, I'm sure you've heard some of the stories of other families that are really at oh, odds. Yeah. yeah, yeah, some blue people, um, it was just too late. You know, the damage was pretty much done. Mm-hmm. But um, like I said, luckily, um, you know, whether he's not in control of our money again or my dad's estate, nothing. We cut that, our ATM got cut off. So, mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty weird. <laughs> yeah, I, I get we it. We took our loss, though. Don't get me wrong. We, you know, we took a hit, but better than that, we, you know, we still that now, and so it, it, it could be not going. It could mean well, nonstop. It could still be going on right now. We didn't do nothing. So, how, how, how did you feel? How was it? What was it like going to all of these events as the spokesperson of the? Because if you really think about it that role also helped prepare you as the spokesperson musically, no? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, talking about my father's music, him, you know, stuff that I know. You know, I've been around in my life. <clears throat> Sometimes we don't, we couldn't address the court issue because it was not going. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. You no, know, we were still in litigation and we couldn't expose any information. But pretty much we in the recovery stage, which is like pretty much post, post, and it, pretty much all the trials are, are over. Uh, right now, we're just trying to find the money, to be honest. Understood. Yeah, so it's even there. We'll see if it's hidden. So no, I, I this is it. where we're at right now. So, no, but as the spokesperson, right, were you going to events in different places to, talking, you know, not about the litigation and those things, but was it, no, but yeah. what was that like? Oh, man, and that's great. You know, I get, um, depending on the event, um, my dad got an award in Memphis last year for the Blues Hall of Fame. I got to go as a spokesperson to accept the award and to, you know, give him thanks and, you know, that you meet people, and uh, it's just a great thing. I love the job that my family gave me. Uh, you got to be responsible. You got to be professional, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but for the most part, it's fun, though. You know, I get to go and travel and meet people and and promote Muddy Water's name. That's what it's all about. Right. And in doing that, do you think that also, I mean, because it's like you're, you're going in these music events, you're talking about uh, your dad and music and you're, you're receiving a, a lifetime achievement music awards that that kind of help uh, a fire the flame and prepare you to take to the stage with song. Yes. Yes, that is correct. Yes. Definitely. Um, I remember my first time on the stage as a professional. It was like the deer in the headlights. <laughs> I'm looking. You know, it's one thing to sing in a, in a practice or in, at home or in the shower, but when you got a live audience and but um, I, I, you're like apprehensive. Okay, how do I sound? Instead so of just going out there having fun and singing, you know, you got all these other things in your mind. And with me. If, if I go out there and think and listen, try to listen to myself saying and that I make a mistake, that's when I really make a mess of, of myself. But if Mojo goes out there and just have having fun and it sounds like what it sounds, and most of the time it sounds good, but then that's when you know, I'm more comfortable and, and my, my charisma come out and my stage presence come out. It's just a better performance when you just go out there and have fun. But I'm basically trying to say. No, it's the truth. It's <laughs> the truth. Now, what what is your yeah. songwriting process? 
Uh, I got one I wrote so far. Well, I wrote some more, a lot of them, but I only, um, I'm going to record one as we speak. It will be on my next CD. And that song's called Break the Devil's Hole. I wrote it. Me and Hennessy wrote that song together. <laughs> I did you. <laughs> but I'm looking forward to recording it. It's a good song. It's a true song. It came from the heart. And it's a, it's a little bit about my dad and myself. So yeah, I think you guys will like it, though. But um, it's my first writing, and I'm looking forward to uh, to putting it on some wax. <laughs> good, good, good. You know what? I think what we should do real quick before we continue a couple of more questions, let, let, let's, let's, let's give them a taste of Mississippi Foundry. What do you think about that? Oh, so sounds good. That's always written by uh, Terry Harrison, and the music was done by Derek Purcell. Now, Terry wrote a song for my dad, a Grammy song, mm. so I got this guy in my camp too. Whenever you got guys like that who wants to help you, he wrote for my father, he won a Grammy for my dad, and now he's writing me songs. So it's just a blessing to have him on my team. Oh, yeah, because you you also know where it's going to lead. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Let's play this song real quick. All right, sounds good. Yeah, when I was just a baby, those big hands set me down. A voice as big as history. Said someday you'll be found A hundred years before you Your name was in the book She'll find you when she's ready She would know right where to look Mississippi found me Mississippi found me. Mississippi found me. Mississippi. 
Mississippi found me. Mississippi found me. Mississippi found me. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's yes, what I'm sir. talking about. You know, that, that's a very, I mean, it's a really deep-rooted song. It has such a deep meaning because for most of us, Mississippi has to refine us to, to, to connect back to where our people started. Exactly, exactly. And she saw me in Chicago. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and, and it's, uh, let me let me let's let's talk about a little um, history to a degree. Mississippi found you in Chicago. You grew up in Chicago. You moved from the city to 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 the rural area. However, the the movement of the people and the music. So so you you understand what I'm getting at? How, how does that feel? Oh yeah. Oh, oh man, uh it's like it's the roots. It's the roots of my father. It was the roots you know, even though I was born in Chicago, but uh every summer my dad would send me to Mississippi to get a taste of his life. Mm. And I would go there with my aunt and I had to chop wood for fire. I had an outhouse and I had a, uh, a well to draw water. Mm. So for a month or so, I would have that country living. And when I got there, because I didn't like it at first, because I'm giving up the convenience of a remote and air conditioner. <laughs> well, but when you when I got there, I didn't want to leave though, man. I, I loved it. We could connect <laughs> so with summer. the nature, connecting with the land. Exactly. We go hunting for gardener snakes and planting in the cornfield. And I was driving pickup trucks at, at 10 years, 11 years old. Mm. <laughs> mm. Was, totally different life day, you know, life. Totally different. And pe- people talk and they have all these distractions. And we sit on the porch and you hear the crickets and, and it was, it was, it was good. And that, you know, it's a country life. It's quiet, but after a while, you know, you go to love it. Right, so do you think that, all time. That, that that balance, Drew, to, to have the, 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 the two worlds? It does, because I got the stories from my dad. My dad was a country boy, so we did country things, and then growing up in the city, it, it's a good balance, you know, because uh, uh, as far as country, keeping me low, keeping me humble, um, my manners, my manners came from my dad, who was, yes, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, uh, pulling out chairs, opening up doors. That's country style right there. Absolutely. And I thought that's those same manners to my children, and they have them. Uh, well, so, let, definitely. Let's talk about that. Do, do you see any of your children picking up the musical mantle? I have a daughter who's a freshman in college, and she has a wonderful voice. 
Now, what she chooses to do with it, I'm not sure. But I keep pushing her. She wants to make a song with me, so I'm going to get her help. <laughs> <laughs> you get, because it has to keep going. Exactly. And my brother, Mud, has 10 kids, and one of his kids sang. So uh, hopefully one of my, my, one of my father's grandkids will pick it up. That's what I'm talking about. That's because this is very yeah. important. This is very important. Are you, do you think about writing books or have a movie about the family or anything? I got a book as writing in, as we speak. It's not done, um, but it, I'm working on it, and hopefully I want to portray Muddy off the stage. I want them to know the man he was at home uh, about the vacations we went on. Um, just uh, the Muddy at home. It'll be totally different. It won't be about his the stage performance, the guitar, the singing. It'll be the the man at the crib. You know, I, I'm really happy. You, no, I'm I'm happy you're doing that because I, I guess that was a great segue into my next question. For you to have grown up with him in the house, and and you know, people run up on you as if they know him, but they really just know the entertainer or the music. How, how is that dynamic? How does that feel? Especially when some people get some things incorrect, not intentionally or, or you know, with malice, but just because their, their perception of a bluesman life might be wrong. How does that feel? And how do you handle that? You know, I, I correct them when I can. Um, but like pretty much, um, it's like for instance, like some of the facts they say is wrong. And I do try to correct him. Okay. Uh, for instance, uh, you know, and then and, and with the reputation as a bluesman, a, a womanizer, that shit is all true. <laughs> 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 but what they don't know is uh, the kind of person he was. You know, I was first started off living with my mom, and I went to a foster home because my mom had an addiction. Mm. And the kind of man my dad was, especially back in those days. You know, he went to the legal system, the court system, and he got me out of there. He, that, that was the whole reason I went to go live with my father. Because my dad took the time out to get me out of a home, bring me to his home, and raise me. Now, for a black man to be sad about that during that time, it talk, talks about his character. But yes, it, it definitely does. Those are the stories that we don't hear. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's just an example of some of the things. He was like the, the neighborhood godfather. People would come over and want money for this and that, and, and he would help the whole neighborhood. Even as a kid, when the ice cream guy came, he wouldn't just buy me. He bought for the whole block. Wow. Yeah, so unless I was pissed off at you, you weren't getting in line, though. <laughs> <laughs> but that just speaks of his character. He was so generous. And always, you know, always helping people, always was out there helping people. Wow. And that needs to be known, definitely. Exactly. And that's the kind of stuff I'm going to put in my book, stuff that the people don't know about, stuff I've seen. So I'm excited. No, I'm excited, too. That, that, that'll be our next interview when our book is ready. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'll definitely get that to you. Right now, we're still in it all. That maybe two or three chapters done. So, And I only spent 10 years with my dad. So I'm gonna talk about those ten years that I had with him. Yeah, Donato, that's real. That's very real. You know. Um, yes, do you, sir. Do you play an instrument? Uh, I played the guitar as a kid. Uh, I recently picked it back up, but I'm not gonna come out until I have, you know, mastered it. I won't embarrass myself. No, I hear you. Uh, until I, hear I can you. knock off, knock, knock the dust off, and get back to where I need to be, then I'll bring her out. But 
Especially like, in yeah, Chicago, all the them guitar slingers out there. Oh God, the gun slingers out here. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have gone here that's the rest of my life. <laughs> so I'm gonna wait till I'm ready. <laughs> well, I hear that. So, so what do you want the blues community, uh, the black music community? And when I say black music, that doesn't just mean a black audience because everybody loves black music. <laughs> yeah. What, what do you want them to receive from you? I want to see if I can win that audience back. Uh, blues used to be probably, uh, probably black. You know, uh, when my dad first started, his crowds were black. As he got older, when I was in, like in the 80s, when I was in school, I would go to his gigs with him, and all the audience were white. Mm. You know, I know. You know, the blues, the blacks went to, to R and B. They went to rap, but um, you know, the blues is the foundation of all music, and we need to reach out into that source. You know, we got to jazz blues up a little bit and make it a little more funkier. We got to win that group back. Mm, absolutely. So, did 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 you and your father ever discuss the change in in audience? Oh, all the time, yeah. He said the black kids just didn't want to hear it, you know. And I, I was that kid, too, you know. I remember when rap, you know, everyone was running the rap when the first came out. I was one of the same kids, even though I lived in a blues house. You know, I liked the rap, and it was new music, and I get it. But, you know, but he just saw the change, though. He saw it. You know, he had to fight, um, it was probably, you know, pretty much blues up until the 60s and then Motown came, remember? That's right. So they had to take the back seat to Motown. That's when they all started to go to Europe. And then after Motown, then rock and roll, rock and roll, then rap. But the blues needs to get back up there, though. Yeah, especially since all of those musics are blues-influenced and induced. I know. Every gender out there, uh, rock and roll, wouldn't be there if it wasn't for blues. Even the rap. No, and you hear it. Yeah, you hear it. It's a more funkier beat. But it's, it's a share crop out there singing in the field, though. <laughs> that's right. It's that's right. Talking about our new, our new misery was the same thing. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I, I have shirts that say hip hop is the great great grandchild of the blues. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> great shirt. <laughs> Thank you. So, so now tell. I'm, I'm going to put it in the link, but I would like you to tell the people where to find your music, where to find, you know, your, your, your events, you know, give them your, your, your social media handles. Yes, sir. I sure will. They can find me. Uh, I'm on Instagram. Uh, I'm on Twitter, Facebook. My Facebook page is public. Anybody can go to it. I have a website, Joseph com. So we out there socially, uh, every, social media out there we there you can get my schedule on my website uh, as far as my concerts and gigs but we are here and we'll be out here and hopefully I get to meet you soon my friend absolutely it was really good to speak to you sir um, you know what I, I usually go out with one of my songs, but I, I think it's only fair. Take it out with your song, baby. <laughs> no, 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 no. We, we going out with a Mojo song. Yes, sir. You know what? You mentioned Let's Play Chess. We're going we gonna to go out with Let's Play Chess. Man, it was great rapping with you, brother. Oh, pleasure's mine, man. Call whenever time. You feel like it, all right, buddy? Absolutely. You're looking down. Mm, that's that money right there. Well, we're going to rock the way. 
Yeah. 